What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here in the late evening hours of Thursday, July 14th, as the Cardinals were not able to get it done tonight. They can't pull off the series win against the Dodgers. My goodness, if you had said that was the case following, I don't know, the sixth inning of Wednesday's game, you'd be pretty disappointed. And Cardinals fans rightfully probably are right now as the Cardinals fall 4-0 to the Dodgers on Thursday night at Bush Stadium. And I know just two things following that game. One, Freddie Freeman is unstoppable. What an absolute beast. And he is on just a ridiculous tear right now for the Dodgers. Can't get the guy out. I know the Cardinals did it at least once tonight, but it was on like a line drive to left that Dylan Carlson had to race over and corral. Boy, this guy is good. I I know that the Braves ended up with Matt Olson, and they're probably perfectly satisfied with that. But man, Freddie Freeman at 32 years old looks like he's got quite a few years left of being just totally elite at the first base position offensively. Big night for him tonight. Big night for the Dodgers and that they won the game. But Dakota Hudson actually pitched pretty well for the most part. Gavin Lux got him on a long fly ball that left the yard in right field. I mean, he absolutely unloaded on that thing to make it 4 nothing Dodgers there in the seventh inning. Without that one pitch, Hudson's night looks a lot different, and we're thinking, wow, two consecutive quality starts for Dakota. That is a step in the right direction. But before we get into that even a little bit further, I'll, I'll give you my second thing that I know for sure following the game on Thursday night. Mookie Betts has an absolute hose. What a throw that he made on Dylan Carlson late in that game. Dylan was trying to turn a single into a double. That's a ball down the first baseline that you figure generally I can make two on that. But Mookie Betts, even with a slight hesitation before throwing that ball, I mean, that I've never seen such a perfect throw where you had really no margin for error. He bounced the throw to second base, which he had to do basically to get it there and get the ball in position for the glove man to tag him out. Just a ridiculous throw by Betts. That was one of the takeaways for me from this game. But Cardinals offense was not able to get it done, and so we'll have to talk about that and talk about our impressions of what, moving forward, we think this team's going to be able to do at the plate. Because... The on-again, off-again, the Jekyll and Hyde routine that the Cardinals have been going through recently can certainly be frustrating. And it's frustrating, too, when you have to factor that into all the other elements of the team that people probably feel they have to be concerned about from time to time. I mean, Dakota almost got, I mean, really close to getting through seven innings with just two runs, and then he gives up the home run, and at the end of the night, it's six and two-thirds, four runs. That doesn't look nearly as good, but the reality is it's the same thing we always say. You can't win if you don't score, and it wouldn't have mattered if Dakota Hudson were able to retire Gavin Lux there in that seventh inning because Cardinals offense did not get the job done tonight. Tyler Anderson's had a really good season. I actually tried to trade for him in fantasy baseball this week. I was unsuccessful. I had to settle for Marcus Stroman. Yuck. He (laughs) He pitches on Friday for the Cubs, but He had a really good night tonight. Six innings, zero runs allowed, of course, with the Cardinals being shut out. Three hits and two walks allowed by Tyler Anderson. He improves to 10-1, and which allows me to sit back and think, damn, do the Dodgers have Tony Gonsolin 11-0 and and Tyler Anderson 10-1? and 
And when you come into the season and you're thinking about what the Dodgers rotation looks like, neither of those two guys are near the top of the list in terms of the names that you're thinking would be proficient pitchers this season, right? Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias. Those would be the names that I would think those are going to be the Dodgers that if anybody was going 10-0, and 11-1, and it's probably those guys. Tyler Anderson's been better than Urias so far this year. Honestly, 2.96 ERA compared to 3.01. Gonsolin's been ridiculous. Even after the Cardinals roughed him up on Wednesday, 2.02 ERA still for the full season. Kershaw, 2.40 ERA. I mean, my goodness. And Walker Bueller injured right now had struggled a little bit. ERA's slightly above four. But that is, I mean, this is going to be a really difficult team to beat in the playoffs, especially if they get and can keep that starting rotation healthy. But I digress. I mean, one through five, it's like they've got number ones or number twos almost at every spot in the rotation. And that's what the Cardinals offense had to come to grips with tonight. And this felt like sort of the games that we had seen recently when the Cardinals were really struggling. And the season goes and ebbs and flows. It goes in waves. We understand that. But after the Cardinals had won three in a row, you're thinking, all right, maybe they're about to do something. But then, of course, the really difficult loss on Wednesday night where they were up 6-0. Dodgers score seven unanswered. The Cardinals lose that game, which is what forces the rubber game to take place on Thursday. Could have been the Cardinals going for a sweep. Probably should have been. And I want to make this clear, too. If you listen to Wednesday's episode of B-Shape Daily, which, of course, you, you would have listened to it on Thursday morning. I hadn't finished recording it until about 1.30 in the morning on Thursday If you listen to that, there was one thing that I wish I had said, kind of listening back. It was such a chaotic night at the ballpark with the Cardinals getting up 6-0. You had Wainwright going. That's always a little bit extra special in 2022. And you're paying attention to that. You're paying attention to the situation with the bullpen, all the conversation with Ollie Marmel in the postgame about Helsley and the other decisions that went into how they handled the bullpen. And then we got into... What was John Mozeliak's role in all of this with Zach Thompson, who had been really clutch as a relief pitcher for the Cardinals, going to the minor leagues, could have maybe used him last night. There was a lot going on. If there's one thing that I wish I had articulated even a little bit better on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning's podcast, which if you've you've missed it, head on over to the B-Shafe Daily Stream on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and make sure you go back and listen to that. There was a lot of really good insight about bullpen management and things that we don't always get a chance to get into. Heard from Ollie, heard from Ryan Helsley, who didn't even pitch in the game. And that's probably audio you will not hear anywhere else, considering only writers were around when he was talking, and I am the only one among the writers that I know does a podcast, does a radio show pretty regularly. So you may not hear that anywhere else is what I'm trying to say. So scroll back on your podcast feed. But if there's one thing I wish I had said, it's that I'm not denying for one moment, despite that we can explain everything that happened and and say, well, that's reasonable they didn't use Helsley. It's reasonable that it lined up the way that it did, considering the issues the Cardinals had following Adam Wainwright out of that bullpen last night. The The one thing I wish I had said is it was a brutal loss. I didn't say that enough last night on the podcast. That's a bad loss for the Cardinals. It's a game that you can't lose. If you're winning 6 nothing, I don't care who you're playing. I don't care what's going on. You have to find a way to close that game out, do you not? And I feel like I got so into, I mean, we talked for 40 minutes last night. It really was a good podcast. 
But I wish I had said off the top, hey, guys, by the way, Cardinals fans out there, you're feeling bummed about this game? You damn well should. <laughs> like, the Cardinals should not have lost the 6 nothing lead. That is not what you want to see, and it's not really acceptable. It shouldn't be. Fans shouldn't just be like, oh, well, it happens. Now, that was one of the worst losses the Cardinals have had in some time. And so you get yourself into a situation on Thursday where you can say, all right, the momentum maybe not in our corner, but look back. We were able to win the final two games of that Philly series. This is a long homestand heading into the All-Star break. And then you take that first game from the Dodgers. You stole it. You won the game on Tuesday because of a good offensive performance and some creative management of the pitching staff. When it's your number five, when it's Matthew Libertor at the time, and maybe it'll be, I don't know, Stephen Matz the next time through. But when it's your number five and you're facing that Dodgers lineup, you can anticipate things are not going to be easy. So I like the fact that the Cardinals went a little bit obscure with the way that they handled the pitching staff that day. I like the opener idea. I liked limiting the exposure of Matthew Libertor to the toughest batters in the Dodgers lineup. All right-handed batters, for the most part, at the top. I was a fan of that. Unfortunately, it did catch up to the Cardinals on Wednesday because in order to make Tuesday work in conjunction with Wednesday, you needed a long outing from Adam Wainwright. I don't know if that was fair to ask of Adam Wainwright after he had gone a complete game in his last time on the mound, but that's essentially what it boiled down to for the Cardinals on Wednesday. They needed Wainwright to get through seven. Wainwright always knows he needs to get through seven. That's the way he handles himself. He is all about efficiency. But again, let's be realistic. When you're facing the Dodgers, you know it's going to be tougher to put guys away quickly. This is a, a lineup that is very disciplined. It's a group of, of hitters that they're going to make you work for each and every out. And so that's what Wainwright experienced on Wednesday, 114 pitches, 16 outs, and that left the bullpen exposed, even in a 6 nothing game. I'd be curious. I wish I had gone and looked at the time at what the live odds would have been at a, at a sports book like DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever that does the live in-game sports betting. Can't do it in Missouri, of course, but I could look at the odds just out of curiosity because I would have been very curious at that point. After Packy Naughton, that was probably the moment in the game where, and maybe not even because the Cardinals scored in the bottom of the sixth on Wednesday. So maybe after the Cardinals get that extra insurance run, it's 6 nothing. I would have been very curious to see what the odds would have been because I think you could have made an argument that even though the Cardinals should be favored at that point, they're more likely to win the game because it's 6 nothing. for goodness sakes. It was a lot closer than a 6 nothing score would indicate because you have to map out what the final innings are going to look like. And maybe the most prominent spot to have done that would have been looking at the Cardinals and the Dodgers and the odds on that game after Drew Verhagen got a couple of strikeouts of Mookie Betts and Trey Turner to begin that seventh inning. It's like, well, if Drew Verhagen can pitch two shutout innings right now, this game is over. Like, they'll figure it out from there. And then everything kind of, you know, turned to crud. That's kind of, that's kind of the way things went on Wednesday. I would just be curious to know what the live odds on that game would have been if, from, from like a sports betting perspective. I get really into the sports betting when it comes to football in the fall and the winter, and so it's natural. College basketball, too. It's a lot of fun for me. 
Haven't really figured out how to parlay that into doing some podcasts. I've occasionally I have, but I feel like most people here, you're here because of Cardinals baseball. And I totally understand that. But I was curious. I'm like, man, even at six nothing, it felt like a playoff game. Like the environment of the last two days prior to, to Thursday, it really did feel like that playoff environment where both pitchers trying to get anything they can, both managers trying to figure out how they can outduel the other. And the offenses scratching across the runs, trying to take full advantage of every little sliver of opportunity that they are given. It really has had that kind of vibe. Tonight, the Cardinals offense just didn't stand up. And like I mentioned, it's been similar to the games we had seen prior to the last four days or so. Because you've got those guys in the middle of the batting order just crushing it. And everybody else pretty much dead silent. Tonight, the Cardinals had five hits. And all of them originated from the two, three, four spots in the batting order. I love me some Dylan Carlson, man. On a night even where the Cardinals don't get it done offensively, I'm telling you, this guy is going to be just fine. I think he's a bona fide number two hitter in the lineup. He's been ridiculous defensively. That's the other thing that I should have mentioned on last night's podcast. I was kicking myself on Thursday morning thinking, man, I did not give Dylan Carlson his due once again for a splendid defensive play that he made in that game on Wednesday, coming in, sliding, and making a a tremendous catch. He can make every catch. He can make every throw. He can go back on the ball. He can come in on the ball. He is a gold-glove caliber defensive center fielder by every definition of the phrase. I know Harrison Bader is tremendous, and he's going to probably overtake that role when he returns eventually from the plantar fasciitis. But I don't think there's any question. I mean, Dylan Carlson's going to be around for a little while. He's not even into arbitration yet. I don't think he is even next year. So he's got some time remaining with this team. I I guess I'd have to go back and look. How much service time did he accrue in 2020? Regardless, he's got at least three more years before you even have to think about Dylan Carlson, free agency, etc. He can handle center field. Like, it's not as though the Cardinals lose a step when he's in the game instead of Bader. I think they're comparable. I really do. Bader might get better jumps on occasion, but in terms of the athleticism at the apex of a play, Dylan Carlson makes them all. He is really, really smooth out there. Which, again, I've talked about before. What does that look like when a guy like Jordan Walker is ready to hit in the big leagues, but he's not available to play third because Nolan Arnato is there, and you've got the DH, but maybe a guy like Jordan Walker goes to right field. I'm just saying it. It seems possible. I think he's athletic enough to do it. And he's certainly got the bat to justify it. And so, I don't know. I like Harrison Bader a lot, but I'm curious whether that might be a, a route the Cardinals explore down the road just because of Dylan forcing the issue. Like, you can't pay everybody. You're like, man, Bader is a really solid player. Cardinals have a lot of solid players. They're they're inevitably not going to be able to pay all of them when free agency and contract time comes. So I'll be curious to see the way that looks. But offensively, I think Carlson would need to continue to boost it a little bit, but he's done that recently. Tonight, two for three, reached base as well via walk, so he's on base three times. Batting average of 256, that's perfectly capable. 721 OPS. He's got to be more, he's got to be on the the other side of 750 for me. Get him to 770, 775 for the OPS, and he can live there his entire career with the way he plays defense. He doesn't have to be a superstar, but I'd like to see good batting average, solid on-base numbers, make as good of contact as you can, and you can be somebody in the Cardinals lineup that can be a table setter for the guys like Goldsmith Arenado. 
Now tonight, they didn't line it up the way they probably wanted. Goldie gets a base hit. He goes one for four. His OPS, I'm, I'm kind of sad about this. It's down to 1,000 now for the season. And for a while, it was Paul Goldsmith and pretty much nobody else in terms of the MVP conversation in the National League. Like for a good portion of the month of, I don't know, from June to to pretty much mid-July where we are right now, there was nobody else to even talk about. And still, OPS-wise, he's above head and shoulders, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Manny Machado. Those are the only other three qualified hitters above 900 in the National League. Goldie's at 1,000, Freeman 920, Riley 911. But if Freeman keeps going the way he, he's been going, it's going to be a pretty much even race before too long. And only one of those players plays in Los Angeles for the Dodgers. So I'm just saying... I'm looking at I'm looking at Freddie Freeman maybe having an advantage in terms of MVP. Although Goldie's got seven more homers, it's 19 to 12, 11 more ribbies, 67 to 56. That's maybe an advantage for Paul Goldschmidt. But man, elsewhere, you look at for those voters that might look at home runs, RBIs. I mean, home run wise, Schwarber's got 28, but the OPS is only 856. He's hitting just 214. That's not much of an MVP threat, at least right now, unless he gets to a gaudy number like 55, 60 homers, which he's not terribly far off the pace to go 50-plus. He is the number one seed, by the way, in the home run derby for Monday's events out in Los Angeles. Albert Pujols will be your eight seed because, of course, he has the least amount of homers of any home run derby participant because he's been a part-time player this year. He's up to six, but pales in comparison to the rest of the group. Austin Riley, 25 homers and 9-11 OPS. That could be a number that ends up catching some attention. Pete Alonzo, 24 dingers, 871 OPS. And Mookie Betts with what he does defensively. You can't really discount him. 20 bombs, 878 OPS. Goldsmith, he's about seventh in the National League right now, tied with Juan Soto at 19 homers. As long as Goldie gets to 30 and 100, and he's maybe winning a batting title. He's got a good OPS, good on-base numbers. I think he's still probably the front runner. He leads Freddie Freeman right now on average by 11 points for the National League batting title. Leads on-base percentage Juan Soto by 10 points, 413 to 403. And he also leads Austin Riley in slug, 587 to 564. So right now, so far so good. But I'm telling you, a week from now, it could be different if he goes on a little bit of a slump. He's kind of come down from where the numbers were. Still my MVP as of today, though. There's not really a question about about it in my mind. The rate statistics are just too far ahead of the rest of the group. So you really like what he's been doing. One for four tonight. Arenado, two for four tonight. So those three in the lineup, Carlson, Goldschmidt, Arenado, they go five for 11 with a walk. So they're on base 50% of the time. That's a 500 OBP. They got it going. Guess what? Nobody else got a hit. Not a single time. Yepes, Donovan, they both walked, but nobody else with a base hit tonight for the Cardinals. That's not a really easy way to win a game. It's not. I know Tyler Anderson has had a successful year, but he's kind of a late arrival to the scene of elite pitchers in the National League. You really would have liked to have seen the Cardinals get something done against him, get something done a little bit at some point against that Dodgers bullpen. Got a couple of hits against the bullpen in three innings. Didn't really happen. So that's where the Cardinals are. They lose the game. They lose the series two out of three to Los Angeles. Keeping track of this homestand now. They have won three games 
after going two for four against Philadelphia. And they have now lost four with the Reds coming into town for a three-game series of the weekend. You've got to at least take two of three to split the homestand five and five. But really, this needed to be a six and four homestand. And I still have a little bit of faith that it can be. But in order for that to happen, the Cardinals are going to have to rise above on Friday night in a situation where they're facing a pitcher that, to me, is the kind of pitcher that they're either going to feast or famine against. Because Hunter Green has some serious talent. He's 3-10, and 10, though, on the season with a 5.70 earned run average. But this guy is electric. I don't remember if he was the number one or number two pick the year he came out in the draft. And the Reds were really the only team that drafted him as solely a pitcher. A lot of other teams thought he can do both. He could be a shortstop. He could be a pitcher. Reds have have put him in the rotation after a Tommy John surgery. 85 innings this year, 107 strikeouts. So he is a guy that can blow you away. He was indeed the number two overall pick back in 2017. Now that I'm looking that up. Tell you what, I mean, the Cardinals could get this guy. His ERA is almost six. That's kind of TJ McFarland territory, actually. Especially after tonight, I should mention that Verhagen came in, closed up that seventh inning, got another out for the Cardinals in the eighth. TJ McFarland ends up going an inning and two-thirds, scoreless. Boy, I just wonder if that would have been the choice last night. I know that you look at the ERA, and I mentioned that you have a 5.7, your Hunter Green and TJ territory. TJ is now down to 6.99, Verhagen down to 6.65 for the season. No hits, no walks for the Dodgers against McFarland tonight. I remember last night, I didn't mention this, I don't think, on yesterday's B-Shape Daily, but TJ McFarland, I can recall kind of waiting for Adam Wainwright, waiting for some of the guys that we were, were going to talk to from the game on Wednesday in the Cardinals clubhouse. And TJ McFarland was sitting there at his locker, just kind of checking his phone, but taking a moment, just kind of chilling. And I, to me, it just looked like a guy, and I didn't talk to him. He didn't pitch in the game, didn't have a reason to interview him or anything like that. But I kind of thought, man, TJ has had such success for this team back in 2021. He, he literally saved the Cardinals last year. They do not make the playoffs, period, the end, without TJ McFarland on that roster and what he did out of the bullpen from the left side. But he's kind of been a pariah this year to an extent. The ERA was 7.43 before he had five outs in scoreless appearance tonight. So over the last few days, he had been brought back from the COVID list. They said he looked good in the minor league rehab assignments. The the pitches were looking sharp again. So give him another shot and see what he can do. But they did send down Zach Thompson, which I think came back to haunt them a little bit last night. But I wish I would have mentioned this yesterday because McFarland to me looked like a guy at his locker. Tough loss for the team, and, and all the players feel that, of course. But McFarland was the one reliever who was available last night and didn't get into the game on Wednesday. And so I felt like looking at him, it was just a a, a picture of, man, I wish I would have gotten a chance. I wish they would have given me a shot tonight because I think I could have done it. I think I could have given them a valuable inning or so. Maybe we come up with a win instead. But McFarland, for those who said, oh, he should be DFA'd, he shouldn't be here, inning and two-thirds scoreless tonight. I know the game was kind of out of hand. The Dodgers basically had it taken care of. But keep an eye on that because if he can turn out to be, over the latter half of the season, the kind of pitcher he was for the Cardinals last year, there is value in that. I think Zach Thompson should be on this team as well. <laughs> last night, what did he do? Struck out five or six guys in two innings. He almost struck out everybody he faced. 
He was hitting 100 miles per hour on the gun, according to one tweet that I saw. So there's room for him on this roster as well. But I'm interested to see what TJ McFarland brings for this team in the coming days. And it could be a deal where if he messes up, he has one bad game, you're out of here. And that's a hard way to pitch. That's a hard reality to live. But it's the business of baseball. That's the way it is. You haven't performed this year. You've gotten one more shot because of the goodwill that you built up in 2021. Let's see what you can do with it. And and tonight was a good step in that direction. I'm curious to see what that looks like for him. Drew Verhagen, I won't say the same for him. Two hits, one walk allowed while recording just two outs. I'm telling you, I know he's got a contract for next year, but there has to come a point in time where they look and say, if we can get a right-handed reliever, none of these guys, Palante, Fernandez, Oviedo, those aren't the guys to send back to Memphis. You've got to maybe consider a hard decision on a guy like Verhagen, but that's why they're giving him these opportunities to see if he can work his way out of it and become the kind of pitcher that they thought he would be when they signed him. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. But I look at the bullpen, I look at McFarland, I look at Verhagen, I'm like, some maybe have to have to give a little bit prior to the trade deadline or or in response to it if the Cardinals end up making a move. But of course tonight the Cardinals didn't score enough runs. I I thought for, I thought you got a decent enough start out of Dakota Hudson, but you got to score to win. And fortunately, despite that it looked good through six innings for Dakota, the seventh was a little bit troublesome. And that's a spot where I'm not going to blame him too much for that. I know you look at it and say, oh boy, another four inning, or pardon me, four runs allowed night for Hudson. But he got into the seventh and nearly got through it. ERA now for the season, 4.10. Manage your expectations. Recognize what's reasonable. I think for Hudson, he's your number four, number five starter. Does that mean the way you stack it up that you may need to trade for a better starter or you may need Steven Matz really to come out and deliver? Yeah, that probably does mean that, but that to me is not as much of a reflection on Hudson as it is just the general depth of this starting pitching staff right now. And Hudson should generally be better. I thought he pitched pretty well tonight, but you give up a home run in the seventh when maybe you, during other circumstances, would have been out of the game already. If the Cardinals had a 3-2 lead, they might start to get aggressive and say, Helsley, you're throwing the rest of the game. You're throwing two and a third innings to get us through. Or it's McFarland and then Helsley, whatever it ends up being. Maybe it's Oviedo. Maybe it's Jordan Hicks. Like you would have had those guys perhaps available after a day of rest. That's plausible. Doesn't end up being the case. I'm not piling on though too hard tonight to Dakota Hudson. I still think he can be a member of the rotation. I've been saying it all year that can help this team, but he has to continue with the consistency. I thought for the most part, he did that tonight. Offensively, I don't know. There's not a lot to really say when you only have three guys register hits, at least they were your main stars of the lineup that did so. Cardinals still have some work to do, I think, from a consistency perspective, and tonight wasn't a great step toward that end. So they lose the series. We'll see what Friday night looks like with Hunter Green against Andre Pallante. For Pallante, I think it's a, a, an important start for him, especially with the trade deadline coming up. Not that the Cardinals are actively looking for starting pitching. I'm sure they're looking for pitching of any kind. But we know that it it takes talent to acquire talent. And I just don't know that John Mozeliak and company are going to be willing to meet the ask that would be necessary to acquire some of the players, some of the worthy starters at the deadline. And so I don't know if the Cardinals end up making a move there. I do think they get a pitcher or two, but it may be kind of those swing men, the, the reliever types that could start maybe. It's going to just add more questions, honestly. 
Uh, but they do need to go out and get some pitching, and so I think that's probably what they'll do at the end of the day. But for Palante, I think he's an important start. Had the really rough one at the beginning of July, gave up the seven runs and ten hits out there in Atlanta. His last start, five and two-thirds, three runs allowed. That's a little closer to what you expect, but still nine hits. He's got to lower that, try to induce some more soft contact rather than the ones that are always going to go for base hits or extra bases. And that'll be the goal against the Reds on Friday. For real, though, the Cardinals have got to find a way to win this series. At a minimum, take two out of three. And I think that starts with a win. Andre Pallante v. Hunter Green on Friday night. We'll see what ends up happening with that. We'll be back here with B-Shape Daily to discuss it. And with the All-Star break coming up, this is something I want to tease once again. We will do some trade episodes, at least one over the All-Star break. And there will come a time where, pay attention to Twitter, at B-Shaper12, or start sending me the direct messages now. If there's a player you think the Cardinals should be in on, When it comes to the trade deadline, I want to know the name, and we'll talk about it, and I'll let you know what I think about that player as we move along. But because there won't be any games next week, we're going to have to find a way to be creative a little bit with some B-shaped dailies. But they're going to be here. We're going to continue doing podcasts because I've appreciated you guys who have listened and stuck with it, and now we're really getting rolling, so it's, it's pretty exciting and fun for me. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't done so. I do get the analytics that it says basically three times the number of people have listened to an episode in the last week than listen to an episode on average. So if you're one of those folks, make sure you subscribe so you can listen to all of them and uh, always let your voice be heard. This is a podcast of the people, and I want to make sure that people feel as though they can let their opinions and their voice be heard and that it will be addressed. Like, I'm accessible and available. So hit me up on Twitter at bshafer12. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I'm doing good, and we'll we'll keep ramping this thing up as uh, the Cardinal season runs along. That is going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.